1: 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the very verses she referenced, which we taught on last week, on last Sunday morning. We taught, we started this series, Thanksgiving. Notice the title, Living in the Will of God. How many want to live in the will of God? Now, I'm going to show you in these three verses what is the primary heart of God's will for your life, how He wants you to live. But I'm going to tell you today, I want to reemphasize this, I'm going to try to reemphasize it over and over and over again. Thanksgiving, True Bible thanksgiving is never about a what. Right. It's about a who. Amen. It's never about a what. You can be thankful for what God has done for you, but you do so because you're thankful for who God is. Yes. If you focus on trying to walk in thanksgiving for what you have, what about when Paul and Silas were no longer free? Now they're actually arrested. Now they're actually locked away in stocks in the bottom of a dungeon in a prison. So if you look at the, the what of your life to be thankful, they had nothing of a what to be thankful for. But they did have thanksgiving because they were thankful for who they were serving, for who had paid the price for their life to be born again. And because of that, guess what they were doing in the midst of their adversity? Praising God and... Giving thanks through aspects of worship and praise and prayer. They were thanking their God, worshiping their God. See, the reason that a lot of Christians kind of miss it when we teach on Thanksgiving is because they're they're still again thinking about the what? Oh, I'm thankful for my home and I'm thankful for this and I'm thankful for that and I'm thankful for this. And nothing wrong with saying you're thankful for those things. But that's not the heart of Thanksgiving, living in the will of God. You won't live in the will of God being thankful for stuff. Because stu- stuff in the natural comes and goes. Right. And so therefore, if all of a sudden what you had is now gone, how many are, like thankful for relationships? Yes. But you know what? People who live a long life, or some sadly who don't, but even if you live a long life, serve the Lord, eventually you're going to leave the planet. Right. So if it's all about thankful for the things we have, the what, guess what? Now I'm not saying that person's a what, but that's something you have in your life. Then eventually it changes. And now, all of a sudden, what? Thanksgiving goes out the window? Now, see, you got to understand, Thanksgiving has everything to do with one thing, and that's God. And that's who He is. Amen? So, back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we're going to see this. We'll do a little bit of review from what we started on last week, verse 15. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 15. See that no one renders evil to evil. Uh, See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. Notice 16, rejoice always. 17, pray. Now see, understand what this phrase means. Praying without ceasing is not talking about you and I in the context of what most Christians think prayer is. Of you and I just simply folding our hands, bowing our head, or getting on our knees and asking God for something. That's not what this is referring to. If you look at the heart of prayer, the heart of prayer is nothing more than having a conversation with God. You sit down at a table, you get to know Him and have conversation with Him. That would be basically what the Bible calls prayer as it relates to God. Because you can't physically see God sitting in front of you. It refers to as a type of prayer or a type of communication or connection with Him. But prayer is nothing more. Let me say it the simplest way I can. You ready? Prayer is nothing more. If you're praying always, let me help you. If you're praying always, you ready? You're always aware of His presence every day. See, many Christians aren't even aware of His presence. You know, they got to get worked up or, you know, get the right songs in the song service going for them and, you know, so they can get their mind off of everything else and get focused on God and... You know, Jesus said this. He said, God's a spirit. Yes. Yes. You want to worship him? Yes. Right. You, want to, you want to truly honor God in a way that you are going to experience his presence? You got to do it in spirit and in truth. Yes. So it's not out of the head. No, no. And if, if Thanksgiving is all about things, that's out of the head. Mm-hmm. But when you obviously get into a place of Thanksgiving is a lifestyle, it's about God. It's out of the heart. Yes. And therefore, guess what happens? Relationship begins to develop. And it becomes stronger. So praying always means to say, I want to say it this way. Praying always means to always be aware of God's presence. Pray without ceasing. I should be aware of his presence all the time. It would be like if I had a best friend in this life and we never, ever separated. They were around me every day. I'm around them. I don't mean just once in a while. I'm talking about all day long, 24 hours a day. They're right there by my side. God never leaves you. God never forsakes you. And praying again without ceasing doesn't mean you just think about prayer when you're in church. Or you just think about prayer when you have a need. No. He's saying that you should be in a a constant awareness of my presence all the time. That's his will for you, by the way. 18. In everything give thanks for... This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, most would only focus on verse 18... Where it says, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. What is? Giving thanks. No, he didn't start there. He started back in verse 16. Verse 16, he said, this is my will for you. You ready? This is God's will for you. I want you to rejoice always. Now, you might not believe this, but guess what God's will is for you? God's will is for you to always be full of joy. How many would like to walk in that? Well, anything that's available to you that's according to His will, you can. Amen. Why does He want you to be full of joy? Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is our strength. See, God knows this. Guess what doesn't bring you strength? Depression doesn't bring you strength. Stress and worry and fear doesn't bring you strength. They deplete you. They take advantage of you both physically and spiritually. And so realize God's will. Say God's will. So I want you to get a hold of what I'm trying to explain today. Living in the will of God is based off of thanksgiving, as you're going to see, because you're going to watch a progression here that we're going to reverse and find out how this works. So God's will. Say it again, God's will. God's will is that you be what? Full of joy. That you live a life full of joy. Now, this joy is not ecumenical, meaning it's not external. It doesn't come because of my circumstances. Right. Once again, Paul and Silas. I don't have time to go to their story today, but I'm going to keep referring to it. They're full of joy. You wouldn't be worshiping and singing God if you were not full of joy. Right. They don't know the prison's going to shake. Right. They don't know the stocks are going to fall off. Right. They don't read the after story like you did. Right. They're living in the midst of this. Not, they probably think we're going to die. We're going to be executed. But guess what? Who cares? We're born again. We know God. Hallelujah. See, living in the will of God means even in the midst of circumstances in the external, it doesn't mean you have to live without joy. You can live full of joy right in the midst of a downturn of the financial economy. Come on. You can live right in the midst of eternal joy right even in the context of losing a loved one who goes to heaven. You can still live with great joy. Because it's God's will that you have joy always. Rejoice always. God's saying, my will for you, Greek language, is that you stay full of joy. Because it's a great strength to your life. Number two, the second part of God's will for you is to do what? To be constantly aware of his presence. My will is that you pray without ceasing. That you be always aware that I'm there. If I am walking in this constant relationship with God, communication with God, I'm aware that he's there. That's his will. God doesn't want us to ever lose track of him. I want you to hear that. God doesn't want us to lose track of him. His what? His presence. Because it's His presence that helps you to know what you need to know as a believer to get revelation from Him, understanding from Him, to avoid challenges and things in life that He could cause you to go around or detour. If you just were aware of His presence, don't you know God all through the Bible tried to warn His people about dangers and things that would try to take advantage of their life? Now, you can rebel and choose not to honor what God's telling you, but the reality is most Christians don't even know the warnings. Why? Because they don't even know His presence. But you can be constantly aware of His presence. Say, God's will is for me every day, 24-7, to be aware He's with me. That's His will. That's praying without ceasing because that's constant communication with God where you're never at a time in your life that you don't know He's not with you. Now, stop and think about this. Watch the progression. If I'm aware of God's presence, if I'm aware of God's presence, I know that he's with me. Name a situation that's going to rob me of my joy. I mean, if you could try to think of it this way, understandably, you're there, so you're not going to face what's here, but I'm just saying, let's, let's re, let, let, me, let me do it this way. If Jesus was standing beside you today, literally in the context of manifestation, walking with you every day, and you're walking in close fellowship with him, it don't matter what you face. You're going to lose your joy. No, you're going to look at it and say, you don't know who I'm walking with. I got no reason to fear you. Look who I have walking with me. My best friend, Jesus. My Savior, my Deliverer. See, the reason a lot of people don't have joy, listen, is because they're not aware of God's presence. Because in His presence is a little fullness of joy. See, this is God's will for me. So God's will is to do what? For you to remain full of joy, never lose your internal joy. Your internal joy, that's a great strength to you. That'll change the countenance of your face. You know why a lot of, uh, of sinners don't want what we as believers have? We're not full of joy. If you were full of joy, they'd look at you and say, I don't know what you got, but I want some of that. Because I happen to know you work where I work and we work together and we face the same stuff and I'm not happy. But how is it you seem to be so joyful in the midst of all of this? You got something I don't have. And I will guarantee in the heart of every, uh, understand me, the Bible reveals this, in the heart of every human, every person ever created, they understand it's ultimately not stuff that's going to keep them in a position of full, fullness of joy. It's knowing God. So understand this. you got to know this. It's God's will for me to be full of joy. It's God's will for me to therefore never be what? Never be unaware of His presence. If I'm aware of His presence, what am I going to do? Be full of joy. If I'm aware God's with me, how am I going to lose my joy? Amen. How? You're not going to. But wait a minute, how do I get there? Thanksgiving. Amen. Thanksgiving is what causes you to live in that will. See, if you learn to cultivate and live a life of thanksgiving, biblical thanksgiving. <laughs> Not just a cute sermon that doesn't focus on God or just what other people say about being thankful for stuff. I'm not telling you stop being thankful for, for what you have, no. But I'm going to tell you right now, that's more contentment, not thanksgiving. But i want to tell you right now, that is not what thanksgiving is about. Thanksgiving is about the person of God. It's about the person of Jesus. Because if you're thankful for Him, then you're thankful for all He's done. But when you lose sight of being thankful for Him, who He is... You'll obviously lose sight of being thankful even for what he's done. So watch this again. Rejoice what? Let, Let me let me let me go backwards. Go to verse 18. Very bottom part of verse 18. This is the will of God. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. What's his will? 16, to rejoice always. Say, be full of joy. That's his will. 17 to pray without ceasing. Say, be aware of God's presence. This is his will. And you do that, verse 18, no matter what the circumstance is and everything, how do you walk this out? You give thanks. So if you live a life of thanksgiving, no matter what you face, no matter what you face, I'm going to show you this. If you live a, living a life of thanksgiving, I don't have time. I wish I could go through all these verses in Psalms today. Living a life of thanksgiving magnifies God. If I magnify God, guess who becomes more aware to me in the midst of my situation? God does. Because I'm magnifying him, not the problem. Thanksgiving magnifies God, becomes more aware of God. You become more aware of God, joy starts rising up in you. Nobody ever got in the presence of Jesus and got depressed. We can't find in all the four gospels where somebody got in the presence of Jesus and said, I'm just really depressed right now, man. Hanging out with you is a depressing experience. (laughs) Do you see that happening? What about in the throne room of heaven? Of what we see from the Bible. Do we see anybody there in the presence of God? No. That they're depressed? No. That they're not happy? All right. That they're not full of joy? No. So understand this. Say, this is God's will for me. I hope I get this across to you. I hope I can make this known to you in a way that you don't need to understand it biblically. Living a life of thanksgiving. Let me, let me back up. Rewind the tape. Let me walk this through with you. Number one, rejoicing always is a result of. Rejoicing always or being full of joy is a result of number two, being aware of God's presence. You will not rejoice always. You will not be full of joy unless number two, you're aware of God's presence. So being full of joy always is a a result of being aware of number two, being aware of God's presence. But being aware of God's presence is number three, what? A life of thanksgiving. It's a result of. Being aware of God's presence is a result of giving thanks to God. Because when you give thanks to God, guess who your focus is on? I said when you give thanks to God, guess who your focus is on? If you do it biblically, that's who your focus is on. Go to Psalm 95. Let's go back to Psalm 95 where we touched on one of the verses we touched on last week. I don't have time to go through all these, but I want to go through a couple. Psalm 95. So understand this. If you want to walk in the will of God, you know, you could go to a lot of things that relate to what God's done for you. I get it. You could go to all kinds of verses and say, well, here's a promise from God. This is his will for me. Is it his will for you to be well? It is. But you know what? You're not going to have too difficult of a time doing that if you're aware of the healer. Amen. Amen. See, I've taught this for years. Don't chase the healing. Chase the healer. Become aware of the healer. It won't be hard to believe how good he is and that he wants you well healed. Amen. 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 So you got to understand the focus is God. And this all comes back to what you and I got to really deal with in our life as it relates to how we're living. Part of the messages that were taught while I was gone dealt with this. Part of the messages Brandy taught on, the message Matt taught on last Sunday, same thing. So you got to understand this. You got to constantly look at this life as an adjustment daily. Because everything about this life in this world is causing an effect to do one thing to the average person who doesn't deal with themselves. Get your focus off of where it needs to be. Circumstances that happen in life are all about this, getting your focus off of God. Get your focus on that. Take your focus off of God. You do. You lose an awareness of God because you lose gratitude for him. If you do, you lose the obviously the joy that he has for you, which is a great strength to your life. And therefore, depression and stress and worry and fear and all those things can set in. I've taught for years about what the Bible teaches in First Peter 5, cast your care over on the Lord. But the reason a lot of people have a hard time doing that, they don't know the one they're trying to cast it over on. You get in the presence of God, it ain't hard to say, oh, man, he's big enough. Here you go. Praise the Lord. You said you would take this for me. I give it to you. I'm not going to carry that anymore. Psalm 95, you there? Stalled as long as I could. Verse one: Oh, come, let us. Let us means that you and I get to. Doesn't mean you have to, it means we get to. Let us sing to the Lord. Let us, underline this please, shout joyfully. I'm really believing the church is going to get back to this. Well, I'm not just going to shout to shout, why not? No, I'm sure. I mean, you know, I hear people say, well, I'm not just going to shout to shout. I got nothing to shout about. Oh, oh, you gave yourself away. Because if you know God, you got something to shout about. What you just revealed to me is you're not walking real close to your God. You're not focused on God. You have a reason to shout. You have a reason to get excited during praise and worship. You have a reason to get excited during preaching of the word when a verse hits you. Come on, somebody. It said, let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Now, if I got to pump you up to do that, there's no joy in it. You know, I heard something, Dr. Roy Hicks, great man of God. He was uh, one of Pastor Barclay's five spiritual fathers. One of the the true, uh, probably, I would say, top Bible scholars of his day. Credible theologian. Credible man of God. And one of the things that he said constantly about the aspects of, a, of a, understanding the presence of God and this type of stuff, let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation, all that, is he said, literally, he said, most Christians have lost track of the presence of God because they're focused on other things. And when you do, your joy goes out the window. Because your joy is in him. Your joy is in him. And again, if I'm aware of the presence of God, I have no problem shouting joyfully. But what if I don't feel like it? That's when you know most need to. Well, I don't feel like shouting. Okay, walk by sight then. You're, you're called to walk by faith, not by sight. I don't, I don't feel. I don't feel. I don't feel. I don't feel. I didn't know we go. I didn't know we went by feelings in the New Testament. We're not supposed to. That's part of walking by sight. We're supposed to walk by faith. What's walking by faith? What the Word of God says. I'm reading what the Word of God says to you. Let me try it one more time. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. To the rock of our salvation. The one who has delivered us. The one who has delivered us from our old sin nature. Delivered us into a brand new life. That's not reason to shout. Guess what Paul and Silas were doing when they didn't feel like it in that dungeon? Now, I'm going to tell you why. Well, I, I was going to say this a minute ago. Uh, let me back up because I kind of missed a point of what Brother Hicks said. And if we have to, as a psalm leader or a minister, pump you up to get you to shout, it's, there's no true shout in it. I'm going to say that again. If the, if the worship leader or the pastor has to pump you up to get a shout out of you, that's not a true shout. Because if you really know and are aware of your God, you already want to shout. If the worship leader has to constantly try to get you to praise and worship, it's not true praise and worship. They're supposed to lead you, so they're supposed to be an example. They're supposed to go into the presence of the the Lord themselves and make you want to draw near and follow them right into that same praise and worship. You listening? Verse 2. Let us come before His presence with what? underline it how do you come before his presence thanksgiving and the reason that you become aware of his presence is because in thanksgiving what are you doing you're focused on him see this isn't even complicated yet it goes over a lot of people's heads they just think if i just keep worthy mouths of thanksgiving i would encourage you to do so that i'll come before the presence of the lord now see thanksgiving is all about focus It's all about being aware of God. If you're aware of God, guess what you're going to do? You're going to start thanking him for how good he is. Because if you really see him for who he is, you know, it's like getting to know somebody, then you kind of get to know somebody. Maybe, oh, maybe I really didn't want to know this person so much. But you might get to know somebody you really obviously didn't know very well and find out, wow, they're really a good person. You get to know God, guess what you're going to find out? You're going to find out just how good God really is. You know why, sadly, You know why a lot of Christians don't know how good God is? Because they don't know him. They won't take time to get to know him. So again, we're to come before his presence with what? So that, again, is a fulfillment of 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Pray without ceasing. See, if you are aware of God's presence, you are aware of God's presence because of what? You're living with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving puts the focus on God. And if you start focusing on God, who do you become aware of? God. And now you're fulfilling 1 Thessalonians five 17. You're praying without ceasing. Because if you're aware of his presence, you're certainly not just going to sit there and do nothing. You're going to take advantage of that relationship. You're going to talk as well as listen. He's a good father. He wants to help his kids. Let us come before him. Notice his presence with thanksgiving. Let us again do what? Shout joyful unto him with what? With psalms. I'll throw in an uh, additional Psalm 3. For the Lord is the great God God above all gods. He is the Lord, the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hands are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. I could go on and on, but I can't. So verse 2 is the key I want to focus on. Let us come before his presence with what? Thanksgiving. I want you to get this. If I learn to cultivate a life of thanksgiving, it's because I'm focused on him. I'll say it another way. If I focus on him, I'll cultivate a life of thanksgiving. Amen. And if I'm focused on him and therefore going to wind up cultivating a life of thanksgiving, what's going to happen? I'm going to be aware of his presence. If I'm aware of his presence, what's the next thing that's going to happen? Go to Psalm 16. Joy will follow. Joy will follow. And now you're right in the middle of God's will. What's God's will? God's will is for you to do what? Be full of joy always. Aware of his presence. But it all keys off of what? Thanksgiving. It all keys off of Thanksgiving. And Psalm 16 Notice this. You ready for another shouting verse? Yeah. Psalm 16. Somebody brought your shouting shoes? Who who's still got their shouting shoes with them? Kim's digging hers out, man. <laughs> you have no idea what we're talking about. We used to talk about putting your shouting shoes on, and we got these little shoes given to everybody, and like somebody brought those, and she, there it is. Got the shouting shoes. <clears throat> Psalm 16. If you don't get it, just don't worry about it. It's just a... Watch this, verse 11, you ready? Yes. You will show me. Yes. Talking about God, you will show me. Actually, this both refers to what God will do for us. Yes. But it also is a prophetic scripture about Jesus. Look at verse 10. You will not leave my soul in, shoal, in hell. No. No. Jesus went down there, but he wasn't left there. No. No. Nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Notice this, verse 11. You will show me. So notice the me is not capitalized. Because of what God did by not leaving Jesus down there, and by him raising him from the dead, we now have the privilege to walk in new life. Verse 11, so God will now show us what? He will show us the path of life. Because Jesus fulfilled what was needed, verse 10, guess what God will do for us now? He'll show us into the pathway of life. Life as God has it. You know what God is not? God's not a depressed God. You listening? God's not a stressed God. God's not a worried God. How many know God already knows the end from the beginning? He already knows all things are going to come out exactly the way He wants it to. Verse 11, you will show me, say me, God will show me the path of life. In His presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Right hand just means you're near Him. You're near Him. So if you are aware of God's presence... Not only are you full of joy, not only will you experience pleasures forevermore, in the midst of his presence, he will show you the path of life. The reason that we miss out, I can tell you every aspect of anything I've ever done in my life that did not work properly, did not work out the way that obviously God intended it to work out, was a lack of me taking time to find out from God what he wanted me to do. To really get close to God. Because guess what God's plans don't do? They don't fail. The Bible says there are many plans in a man's heart. That's every one of us. There's many plans in a man's heart. I love this. But the counsel of the Lord, the plan of God will stand. What if you don't have the plan of God? Then, if it, then it won't stand. If it's not in line with the plan of God, it won't stand. So I want you to get this. This is so powerful. I want to read this to you, verse 11, from what's called the voice translation. The voice trend. Now, this is not a really weird or you know out of line translation. I'm not into a lot of paraphrases, and I'm not a lot of in, not. I'm not into a lot of the newer translations that really take away from the original Hebrew and Greek. Voice is not necessarily one of them. If you look up the Hebrew or Greek, it's very close. Watch this. You ready for this? Yes. Verse 11. You direct me on the path that leads to a beautiful life. Oh, glory. Yeah. You, God, direct me. If God's directing your path, it's a path that leads to a beautiful life. Now, beautiful doesn't mean not persecuted. If you live godly, you'll suffer persecution. But see, how many of how you many, how many love hearing testimonies of seeing great things God's done for somebody? But that don't happen because you didn't face a challenge. But facing a challenge doesn't mean you don't live a beautiful life. You live a beautiful life because you overcome the challenge. You will direct me on the path that leads to a beautiful life. As I walk with you, as I walk with you, the pleasures are never ending. As I walk with you, the pleasures are never ending. And I know true joy and contentment. So if we walk with him, guess what? The pleasures are never ending. You know why? He's the one that pleases you. It's not the stuff. You'll never lose, in context to walking close to God, you'll never lose living a life of true pleasure because he's what pleases you. He's the pleasure of your life. And in the midst of that, again, as it says here at the end of the verse, I know, I and I will know true joy and contentment. So this all refers to being what? In the presence of God. Again, verse 11, you will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. How do you do that without living a life of thanksgiving? You don't. Because you go back to 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, 18. He wants you full of joy. This is my will for you, verse 18 said. I want you full of joy. I want you... Praying without ceasing. Always aware of my presence. Knowing I'm right there for you to talk to. Knowing you can come to me because you're aware that I'm there. To bring any problem, any challenge, any circumstance, any question, anything about life. And you do it through thanksgiving. Because here's the key about thanksgiving as I've been saying over and over again. what, uh, What is joy the result of? Joy is the result of being aware of God's presence. What is being aware of God's presence the result of? Thanksgiving. But what's the result of Thanksgiving? Focusing on God. Walking with God. You walk with God, you're going to be thankful. You know why? Because you're going to see how good he is. You're going to see more and more of who he is, and the goodness of your God will continue to make you more grateful. And in doing so, guess what's going to happen when you become more grateful? You're going to be more aware of him, and your joy is going to rise. The joy of the Lord is going to rise up in your heart. All we have to do is focus on God in a daily basis of true gratitude for who He is, and this will help us cultivate a life of thanksgiving. I'm going to say that again. We have to focus on God on a daily basis, listening to focus on who He is, not what He does. We, I, I've taught on it before. I've, I've had messages on it for years. People have said it for years. We're not seeking God's hands. We're seeking His face. You know, Moses saw incredible, incredible miracles over and over and over again. How many of you have seen water come from a rock? No, no. Raise your hand if you've seen that happen. Moses did. How many of you seen a Red Sea parted? Anybody? Raise your hand. See, he saw that happen. How many of you saw the plagues come to those who were obviously wicked and evil in Egypt? No, haven't seen that happen. But you know what? I'm going to tell you what. And all that Moses saw when it came down to what Moses wanted from God, It was none of those things. I want to see your face. Show me your face. I want to know you. I want to have that that personal intimate relationship with you. And God said, sadly, Moses, in your day, although he was probably more aware of God's presence than most people born again today, he said, you can't see my face and live. You can't fully know and gain access back to your worth in me yet because Christ hasn't come and died. If you see my face in the fullness of who I am, you'll die because you have sin in you. But guess what? Jesus changed that. I said Jesus changed that. In the book of Hebrews, the Bible says Jesus went, I've taught on this, you've heard me teach on huh? Jesus went before the face of the Father for us. It says presence, but the word presence in the Greek there is face. Because when you get to know God, guess who you really get to know? When you get to know God, guess who you really get to know? You. You get to know the real you. And that brings great joy. Because not only is God so good, he's so good, he changed me. And he made me like him. i made in his likeness and his image. Not who I used to be. So the more you get to know God, the more you get to know what? You. Because he made you. The inner man, just like him. There's not a thing about your spirit that's sinful, wrong, or out of line with the character and the nature of God. You know why? It was breathed in existence by God. Came from him. Whether you realize it or not, your new spirit man inside of you is a part of God. Not to mention, God by the Holy Spirit lives inside your spirit. I want you to stop and think about that. Just close your eyes and think about that thought for a minute. My spirit within me is a part of God himself. Think about that. My spirit within me, my, who I am, spirit man. You're a spirit, have a soul, live in a body. My spirit within me is a part of God himself. Why? He breathed it into existence. Can you say amen? See, go back to the time of the creation of man. I've taught you this many times. When man was formed of the dust of the ground, the body part, right? He formed his body, Genesis says, of the dust of the ground. But then it says God breathed into his nostrils what? The breath of life. Breath of life. Yes. If you look up that word breath there in the Hebrew, it says he breathed into him. That word breath is spirit and soul. Yes. He breathed his spirit and soul into the body. Really? Now the moment he did it, his eyes opened up. Physical eyes. Yes. What did he see? God. What did he see? No, come on, what did he see? The face, the face of God. He saw more than God. God's right there breathing into his nostrils. He sees the face of God. So not only does he see his creator, creator, he sees a reflection of himself because that's who made him. That's who created him. He literally is looking in a mirror, James says. He's looking in a mirror and seeing a reflection. of. So we just go by images and noses and all that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about seeing God in his full essence for who he really is. He's good. Guess who you really are? back up so if you really see God in his full essence guess what God really is guess what God really he's good guess what you really are your spirit's good because when you see him you're seeing a part of you you're made of him you're a part of him. He, he breathed that spirit within you. So the moment that Adam opened his eyes, he sees the face of God. So his full value and worth is coming from the one whom his focus is supposed to be on, whom he's made like. Amen. And when he finds his value and worth in his creator, not the creation of the stuff he gave him, he has no problem being grateful to God because who's his focus on? His God. So he's seeing two things. He's seeing his God, how good he is. Wait a minute. And he's seeing a reflection of himself who he really is. Most Christians have no idea who they are. You know why they don't know who they are? Because they don't know who God is. You'll never, you can write it down and take it to the bank. You'll never really know who you are until you get to know who God is. Because you're a reflection of him. You're a part of him. But the more we focus on him, the more gratitude we get. Because now we see him for who he is, and therefore we see ourselves for who we are. After Adam sinned in the garden, before that happened, before the sin, what did Adam do every day? He, he actually fellowship with God. He, he is already a part of God's presence because he's made by God. He's perfect. But God the person of, a part of God's already in Adam. Adam's not without God just because God the person's not there. He actually could fellowship with him without the person of him being there because he's a part of God just like you now have by the Holy Spirit. But God would come down in the person of God, the Father, and walk with him in the cool of the day. Then he sins. And the moment he sins, God comes down in the garden that day. After he sins, and guess what the Bible says? The Bible says Adam and Eve hid themselves from the presence of God. Look it up in the the Hebrew. Guess what he hid himself from? Face of God. See, we think he's still looking at God face to face. Now, if Moses couldn't do that with sin, Adam couldn't do that with sin. So in some way, God veils himself because now Adam can't see any longer. Imagine the, you, you want to talk about a real empty feeling? Oh my goodness. You've been looking at the face of God every day, face to face. And now all of a sudden, one day he shows up and you can't see his face anymore? Oh my goodness. Oh my. Thank you, Jesus. You made a way back. Yeah. See, when Christians don't take advantage of getting to know God, this is what they're missing out on. This is what they're missing out on. This is where true life is found. It's not in the stuff. It's in Zoe, God himself. So realize that when that happened, and I've taught you this before, when that happened, Adam can no longer look at the face of God. So now all of a sudden, where is Adam's value? Where is he finding his value and worth that life? I would pray that this church family would really go back and listen to my teachings on this Because I will promise you, so many in this church still struggle with self-identity. You ought to listen to your words sometimes. Because when you don't struggle with self-identity, guess who you rarely talk about? You. You have no need to. Stop and think about how many times I do, I look at my life. I, I caught myself the other day. I mean, it's a part of that old nature. Stop and think how many times that you're trying to say something or do something to justify yourself, make yourself look better than, you know what I'm saying, to, 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 to address somebody in a way that you don't obviously look bad or, or you know, I was right, they were wrong, or da-da-da-da-da. I'm going to tell you why you're doing that, because you're operating in that moment of time out of the old nature and old identity. If you know who you are in God, who cares? <laughs> Come on. Who cares what somebody else thinks? I know what God thinks. Amen. And God loves you. Yes. In spite of, of you, the old man, God loves you. Amen. Can I get a better amen? amen? So now all through this time frame of the Old Testament till Jesus comes, guess where man can't get his full identity from? God. He can't see his face. He can't see a reflection of who he was made after. Can't do it. Because of sin. And therefore, man starts getting his value and worth in the creation, not the... This is what happened when they started looking at the tree and obviously started now wanting the tree more than they wanted God. And all it does is lead to Satan taking advantage of your life. Because your value and worth is based on what do you have, how much money do you make, who's on your arm, standing next to you. Oh, I don't have a boyfriend or girlfriend, or I don't have a husband or wife. What does that have to do with your value and worth? Because they're not going to complete you, darling. As much as I love my wife, she doesn't complete me. Anybody's ever taught you you're incomplete without being married? Well, then Paul was. And he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Doesn't sound too incomplete to me. I thank God for godly husbands and godly wives. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But I'm just telling you that this is what leads to... All these aspects of life where we allow ourselves to get frustrated, depressed, upset with our life, not happy. I'm gonna tell you why. Because you don't see yourself the way you really are, because you don't know your God for who He really is. That's a mouthful. But that's the truth. Because when Adam saw God, he had no need to obviously deal with wanting anything else. I got everything I need in God. But then sadly, Satan got him focused on wanting the stuff. You listening? But Jesus fixed it. Because again, in Hebrews, it tells us that Jesus went into heaven itself for you, for me. Heaven itself, where the Father's at. And he shed his blood in the holy of holies in heaven. He shed his, he took blood with him. He shed his blood on the mercy seat of heaven. And the moment he did, the Bible says he appeared in the presence, word in the Greek, face. He appeared before the face of God for us. So we could now do what? See God's face once again. Why'd you like to see it? You can. Get to know Jesus. Get to know your, your God through the Word of God. That's Him right there in that Bible. So I want to finish today by helping you understand something. Everything about your life as you walk out Christianity, what you do as a believer every day, should be focused on cultivating a life of thanksgiving, which helps you focus on God. And if you focus on God, you're thanking Him for who He is. Here's what I want you to do when you come to church, when you open your Bible every day, when you're going through your situations with jobs and work and family and all that. Here's what I want you to remind yourself every single day. If you'll do this, this will help you to get to know God better and it'll help you cultivate this life of thanksgiving. If I do, what's the result of thanksgiving? I'll be aware of his presence. Come before his presence with? And in his presence is? So how can I gauge how well I'm doing? Where's your joy level at? Your joy level gauges how well you're doing on being aware of your God. Amen? Amen. So let's recognize, again, thanksgiving for what it really is. It's recognizing God for who He is. Can I get an amen on that? Go to 1 John chapter 4. You know what? Let's stop off. Wait a minute. Go to Psalm 107 on the way, heading there. Say praise the Lord, somebody. Psalm 107, I'm going to show you again, Thanksgiving is all about thanking God for who He is, not for what He does. Quit focusing on what God does. The the what God does is a given. Mm -hmm. It'll happen. Just focus on who He is. Because the more we allow, human nature causes us to do this. The more we allow to focus on what He does instead of who He is, we lose sight of who He is. We don't want to do that. Then all of a sudden it's about what God does. And then when God doesn't do the things you want them to be done, come on, when, when, when it doesn't happen the way you thought it would, can I help you already? It ain't never going to happen the way you thought it would. You know why I know that? Because the Bible says God's ways ain't your ways. So, so you get caught up with, well, how's this going to change, God? I believe maybe like this and this and this and this. You're already setting yourself up for a failure because you're focused on the what, not the who. And God's got so many different ways of doing stuff. Amen. And and in the context of it being done our way, it wouldn't be God because guess what? Our ways aren't His. Psalm 107 verse 1. "Oh, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for. Last part of the verse for His mercy endures for one day. And then it's done. How long? How long? See, this is talking about giving thanks for who God is. Say, "God God is good. In the midst of the good attributes of God, there are three key things that come up all through the Bible over and over and over and over again. And this is what you do to start learning how to become aware of God's presence. In thanking Him for these attributes, you're focusing on Him. But clearly it does not say give thanks for all that the Lord has done. It says give thanks because he's what? Good. He's good. Let me show you how good he is. Go to 1 John now, chapter 4. All right. Just two more verses. Come on, you can handle it. Yes, 1 John chapter 4. So I'm going to give these things to you up, up front ahead of time. And then I want to work on them a little bit here in the next 10, 15 minutes before we wrap up this morning. I want you to make sure you got them. All right? Because, God's, because God is good, these are three attributes that you see manifest of God because of his goodness. Because of his good, number one, he's love. I'm going to tell you why he's love, because he's good. I Want these three things down, I want you to work on them. God is love. Number two, God is merciful. We just read that in that psalm. His mercy endures, therefore he is what? Now, see, here's how you can know it's God. Because God's eternal, God doesn't change. No. If He's good, the attributes are eternal, they don't change. His love never changes. Yes. Jeremiah 31 3 says, He has loved us with an everlasting love. You know why? Because He's love and He don't change. Yes. So, to give thanks, we have to recognize who God is and we can do so by His attributes one, He's love, two, He's merciful. Meaning what? His mercy never ends. We just read it. Number three, the final third and key attribute, he's also a God who is gracious. Say, God is gracious. Guess what? God's grace was even seen in the Old Testament. I'm going to prove to you based on the definition of what it means. We just think, well, we're living under grace. Let me help you. God had a lot of grace going on under that Old Testament. Because he gave those folks stuff they didn't deserve. Over and over again, he helped them and he blessed them and he delivered it. They didn't deserve none of that. Now, thank see, a lot of people just try to convince you, oh, grace is just for today. Ridiculous. God's a God of grace. He has always been a God of grace. He will always be a God of grace. Therefore, his grace was in operation in the Old Testament and the New Can I help you? His grace was in operation before the world was created because he's a gracious God. It's part of who he is. And these are the three things that make him so good. So good. Why is God good? Because he's a God of love. He's a God of mercy and he's a God of grace. And if I will work in my life, now this is what I want to try to get across. When I open my Bible, what should I be doing, pastor, to get to know my God? Every time you spend time fellowshipping with God, knowing he's talking to you through that word, look at what you're reading and recognize in some way in that context the love of God, the mercy of God, or the graciousness of God and start thanking him for it. Because even in judgment, God is loving. How could God be loving in judgment? Because he knows the hearts of all men. And if he wouldn't have judged the evil, those who are not would have never experienced the love of God. He's love. Period. So no matter what you read in relationship to God, you can find these attributes in the scriptures. Love, mercy, or grace. You shouldn't take them for granted. Shouldn't just read through it. Oh, I just read a few verses today. No, 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 no. We're going to start this. Whole life of Jesus coming up December first. As you're reading through the life of Jesus and everything about those scriptures, and no matter what you do as it relates to reading the Bible, what should you be thinking about? I'm looking for the God of love. I'm looking for the God of mercy. I'm looking for the God of grace. I'm gonna thank Him for it. What should you do when He come to your house when you come to His house? You should not come here, oh, we gotta go to church. When's pastor gonna get done? When are we gonna get out of here. Yeah. You have no focus on God whatsoever. It's all about you. It's all about what you gotta do. What is so important when you get out of here that you gotta get out of here for? <clears throat> Nothing. 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 Unless it has to do with you spending more time with God. Most probably ain't gonna do that when they leave this door. Right. They're gonna go find something to eat. Right. You still right. here? Yeah. But listen, yes, give thanks for the food, but remember it's because we're focused on the one who provided it. So you got to understand this. If you focus on these three things, it will help you to cultivate a life of thanksgiving. And if you live a life of thanksgiving, what are you going to do? You're going to live in the will of God. You're going to be aware of his presence. You're going to stay full of joy. Any amens on that? First John chapter four, watch this. First John chapter four, verse eight. Let me show you how good God is as it relates to his love. Many, many scriptures you could go to about the love of God. I'm just going to go to a few here. Verse 8. He who does not love does not what? No, God. He doesn't know God because what? God is, God is love. Verse 9. Because God is love, is God eternal? Yes. Is God eternal? Yes. Is therefore his love eternal? Yes. Don't confuse his love with man-made love. No. They don't compare. No. Every aspect of God has three attributes. Every aspect. His aspect of his goodness, love, mercy, grace. Aspect of love, three attributes. Unconditional, sacrificial, continual. Because God is a triune God. His love's unconditional. Meaning what? He don't put any condition on you to do anything for him to love you. A lot of people have a hard time believing this. Every person in hell right now that will eventually come out of there and go into what the Bible calls the lake of fire, God still loves them. He's never stopped loving them. You know why? He's love. They chose not to love him. So he had no uh, option but to reject him. But guess what? It doesn't change his... See, it's not like me and you. It's not like in the natural. If I say I love somebody, and then all of a sudden we break up the relationship, now we don't really love him anymore. That ain't God. God never stopped loving. So don't confuse man's love with God's. Hey! Jesus said, love your enemies, ladies and gentlemen. See, love is not in context of what we think from a natural perspective of what the world teaches us love is. Love is just simply honoring what we know in our heart is right in the sight of God. I'm not going to speak against him. I may not be able to still fellowship with him. God can't fellowship with those people in hell. But guess what? He is not going to stop loving them. So watch this, verse 9, in this is love. So now he's going to define it. He tells us in verse 8, God is love. So now he's going to define God. In this is love. Watch this. In this the the love of God was manifested toward us, that God did what? Here's proof of his love. He sent his only begotten son into the world that we might do what? Live a whole new life through him. 10, in this is love. Not that we, notice this, love God. See, it's unconditional. Not that we love God, but he did what? Oh, thank you, Jesus. He did what? He loved us and he sent his son to be what? Tell me. Look at the verse. To be what? To be the propitiation for our sins. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that's called mercy. That's called mercy. See, right in the midst of this love verse, now you see mercy pop up. Because propitiation for our sins means we're not going to get what we deserve. Propitiation means Jesus bore the punishment our sin deserved. Therefore, we won't bear that punishment. That's the work of propitiation. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to do what? We also ought to do what? We're not to punish one another. That don't mean I can fellowship with you. God can't fellowship with those in hell. They've chosen to reject him. If somebody chooses to live a wrong life, and I'm supposed to choose my friends carefully, I'm not going to fellowship with you. But that don't mean I do what? That does not mean I now punish you for what you did to me. See, the moment you see broken relationships, what tends to happen? People tend to start trying to punish each other. Oh, you got it right, Pastor, and they're punishing me. Wait a minute, are you punishing back? Are you choosing to walk like God because you're made like God and choose to walk in love? If you do, guess what you're going to do? You're going to be aware of God's presence, and you're going to be full of joy and not the hurt and the pain that was caused you. Thank you for all your amens about that. See, this affects every part of your life, man. So, number one, God clearly is loved, so what should we do? We should thank Him for being a loving God. Thank you, Father, that you're a loving God. You're so loving, you sent Jesus to come and take my place, to bear what I should have bore. Right? He bore my sin, not His. He bore my sickness and disease, not His. He bore my punishment, not His. How should I not be thankful for a loving God? I've said it before many times. Those two arms stretched out on the cross is proof of how much God loves you. This is how much I love you. I didn't deserve to go there. But that's because I love you. Psalm 103. So number one, in everything you do, reading the Bible, coming to church, context of you talking to God throughout the day, what should you be reminded of? My God's a God of love. I thank him for who he is. And because of who he is, guess what he is? He's a God of love. Because you know what the devil's forever trying to convince you through your circumstances? If God loved you, why didn't he do something about this? He already did. Jesus already did. But you're choosing to get caught up in the circumstance. Listen, I've said this before. If you get out of thanksgiving, you get out of faith. So if you're not walking by faith, you can't experience what God did. Takes faith to receive what God did. Takes faith in what he obviously died on the cross to do for you to get born again. You can't get born again without faith. Well, you can't walk in the things of God without faith. So it's pretty obvious why Satan doesn't want you walking in love. Because if he didn't get you out of love, faith works through love. If you get to know love, God, you're not going to have any problem putting trust in him. Not any problem walking in faith with him. Psalm 103. Say, God's a loving God. So in the midst of everything you go through, I don't mean like the bad circumstances God brought about so I love God for it. Lord, no. The Bible is clear. John 10, 10 is the dividing line of the scriptures. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. What happened? Was it a part of stealing, killing, and destroying? Yeah. Well, God didn't do that. The devil did that. Jesus said, but I've come. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I've come to give you life and that more abundantly. So what you're experiencing is life and that more abundantly zoe. That's from God. You're still here. But see, again, the devil wants to get you convinced God doesn't love you to your circumstances. Psalm 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Where do you think the focus is here? God. Verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not what? All His benefits. Watch this. You ready? Check out some of them. Verse 3, who forgives some of your inequities? Huh? How about any you committed yesterday? If you repented, if you said, I'm sorry, Lord, I miss it, confess your sin, He's faithful to forgive you. Come on, He forgives how many? All your inequities. Who heals how many? Tell me out loud again. All your diseases. Well, why am I not healed from this one? You probably need to get to know the healer instead of trying to focus on the healing. Learn how good he is. Learn how much he loves you and what he's done. And you'll begin to spend time in his presence. You'll begin to develop your faith in him. And you'll accept what he's done for you. Watch this. For who redeems... These are benefits. Who redeems my life from... Tell me that isn't good. Who crowns me with loving kindness and... You have tender mercies in you. You have loving kindness in you. If it's not coming out, it's because you don't know the one that put it there. If you know the one that put it there, you see, again, you see a reflection of you, and you start walking in more of who you are. So you can't do this with just an outward, outward purpose to try to be loving. No, you got to get to know God. Amen. Verse 5, who satisfies your mouth with God don't fill your mouth with bad things. If your mouth is filled with bad things, God didn't put them there. I say God didn't put them there. God satisfies your mouth with, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Now, how does God satisfy us with good things? He gave you a book full of good things to say. Verse 6, The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. That's a loving, good God. Seven. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. How I many you know he did it all through their, tr- their trek, even all through the wilderness? Eight. Listen. The Lord is what? Merciful. Here's the other two attributes. Underline it. The Lord is merciful and gracious. There they are. God is loving. God is merciful. God is gracious. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. Now, He will not always strive with us. That's just referring to mankind. There is coming a day. There is coming an ultimate judgment, an end of all things. He will not allow this to go on the way it's going on forever. You listening? Nor will He keep His anger forever. His wrath will be seen. Right? Time of tribulation. You're going to see uh, seals uh, uh, opened, and you're going to see God's wrath come. But that's not for the just. That's that's not for those who love him. That's for those who reject him, want nothing to do with him. Watch this. You ready? I said you ready? Verse 10. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. Say, thank you, Jesus. Why? Because he's a loving God. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our inequities. So stop blaming God for bad things happening in your life. The moment you're born again, he forgave you of all of that. If you're still experiencing bad things in your life, it's because of one of two reasons. You don't know who you are, so Satan's taking advantage of you, or you continue to sow to the flesh. You're going to reap what you sow. Galatians 6, you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. You sow the Spirit, you're going to reap life. Stop blaming God for bad things happening in your life. Not like you are. I'm just saying if you are, don't do that. Because he's not the one causing the bad things. 11. For as the heavens are high above the earth, again, so great is his what? Come on. So great is his mercy toward those who what? Have reverence and respect for him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. How far is the east from the west? Infinity. How far has God moved our transgressions from us? Infinity. All right. So verse 8 are the second two attributes of our God. Three attributes of our God. He's love. Two, he's merciful. Three, he's gracious. So let me define these for you real quick. Love means God himself. Love means God himself. When you say love, you're talking about God. When you're talking about the God kind of love, because God is love. That love is unconditional. That love is sacrificial. That love is continual. Doesn't end. He doesn't love you based on what you do. He loves you because he's loved. You didn't hear that. He doesn't love you based on what you do. He loves you because he's loved. Well, God couldn't love me. You just said God's a liar without even realizing it. Not intentionally, but to say God couldn't love you is is to go contrary to what the Bible said. God's love. He loves everybody. How could he not love you? God is love. God loves everybody. How could he not love you? He doesn't love you because of what you do. If his love was based on what you did, Jesus could have never come. Jesus could have never died on your behalf. Say, my God loves me because he's love. So why would you not start thanking him all the time as you're reading the Bible and truly honoring what the Bible says about how loving he is? Second attribute of God, he's merciful. Say merciful. What's mercy? You're not going to get what you deserve. As I mentioned a minute ago out of 1 John 4, propitiation is a part of God's mercy. Mercy means God will not punish us for what we did wrong. We had Jesus do that in our place. Therefore, God is merciful. Time and again, when he wanted to wipe out the children of Israel, guess what he showed? He showed grace and mercy. He showed mercy by not giving them what they truly deserved. And then he showed grace by continuing to give them what they didn't deserve. So the third attribute of God is grace. What's grace mean? God gives you what you did not deserve. If you earned it, then therefore it didn't come from God because you could have got it on your own. You missed that. If you earned it, you didn't need God, you could get it on your own. You listening? If I could earn what God had available to me, then I didn't need him to come die for me because I could have got it on my own. Grace means I got what I did not deserve. I didn't earn it. There's nothing I did to get born again other than put my faith in Jesus. Jesus did it. Say, mercy Mercy means means I'm not going to get what I deserve. deserve. Say, grace means means I have gotten what what I didn't deserve. He gave you new life. He gave you a whole new way to live. He gave you all the context of the covenant promises of the New Testament. Not because you deserve them, but because He's a gracious God. How can you not get to know your God through these three attributes and then cultivate a life of thanksgiving? Come to church thinking about how much God loves you instead of thinking about your lunch that day? That God would love you enough to gift a shepherd with the ability to teach you and, to, and to help you to understand and know and grow in the knowledge of God's Word, that He would give you a church family yes. Yes. that would love you. They don't love me. you kidding me? We're not throwing you out, are we? <laughs> that He would give you a church family you can be a part of. Amen. See, once you start coming to church focused on God, how do you do that? Start recognizing His three attributes. He loves me, so he gave me a place to come and be fed the word of God and be equipped. He has something to say to me today. You know why? Because he loves me. How about going to the Bible? How about when you go to Scripture? Same thing. God gave me his word. He actually preserved it because he loves me. So he could reveal more of himself to me. And in doing so, reveal more of who I am and what he has available for my life. So in anything as it relates to God, how about instead focusing on how much God loves you? Because then you start focusing on God. How about how merciful God's been? How about walking through the doors at church on Sunday morning and say, Thank you, Father. You've been so merciful that I'm not going to get what I deserved." Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. And because of grace, I will get what I didn't deserve. I didn't deserve to hear from you today, but you'll speak to me. I didn't deserve for you to help me walk in more of an understanding of what you have for my life, but you'll give it to me if I will take the time to listen. So take these three attributes of God, love, mercy, and grace. Work them in your everyday life. Everyday life. At work, when you're at work, boy, I sure hate my job. You ought to start saying, hey, you know what? Because God loves me, he gave me the strength and ability to do what I'm doing. If it's not the ultimate job has for me, why don't you start believing God for the one he has? But you're going to keep complaining and groaning and moaning about your job and your situation. You're not focused on God. Come on, somebody, help me close. If you're not focused on God, guess what you're not going to be? Top top word, thankful. If you're not thankful, you're not going to walk in the will of God. A lack of thanksgiving does what? Causes a lack of, on awareness of the presence of God. You're more aware of your problem, your circumstance, your situation. And because of that, guess what goes out the door? Joy. Let's reverse it. Come on, let's reverse it. Let's get more aware of God's presence through thanksgiving. And in doing so, we're going to be full of joy. Great strength to our life. Have I helped you all today?
0: We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today for more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.